39. Tonight we're going to be in Genesis 39. And we're going to be talking about Joseph, Potiphar, his door, Potiphar's door, and us. Let's take a moment and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we are thankful um, for the opportunity to talk about your word here tonight. I pray that you would guide me as I do it. Um, And uh, we just ask your blessing on the rest of this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay, it's Genesis 39, and I'm going to start with the first six verses. I know we've got PowerPoints, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites that had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer over his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except the bread that he ate. And um, so. Now, about Potiphar, he was a high officer to the king, he was in charge of the palace guard, he was wealthy, he was religious. And yet, the slave that he purchased, Joseph, had this god, a god that he wasn't aware of, and we're going to be talking about the Egyptian gods in a moment. But And Joseph didn't make his god a secret either. Potiphar knew um, the god that Joseph served, and he saw that Joseph um, was very successful at whatever he put his hand to, probably starting off at something very basic and very menial and working his way up. And um, he saw those things hand in hand, Um, both what Joseph was doing and Joseph referencing the God that he served, the God of um, Isaac, the God of of Jacob, the God of Abraham. And um, that didn't hit me until this week when I was reading it, that, that Joseph didn't make the faith in his God is secret, even though he was in a strange land, had to learn a different language, was in a society with a completely different belief system than his, and yet here he was. Now about slavery in Egypt, some things we ought to know. Uh, Slaves were acquired by war and trade and in debt, debt meaning that you'd, um, if I were heavily in debt, I wouldn't go bankrupt, I'd sell myself into slavery. That's how it was in those days. And that even though they were the lowest class, they were treated better than in other countries of that region and time. 
and that the most fortunate slaves, well, they did work in, for the royal families and for high officials like Potiphar. And the least, well, they worked in mines. And um, we know today working in mines is dangerous and sometimes fatal. It was back then. They had no safety equipment. And we'll talk a little bit about the religion in Egypt. Um, I was reading on it, and it's based on beliefs that collected over time, over hundreds and hundreds of years, I'm sure. And sometimes it was contradictory. They had different stories of creation that existed at around the same time. Um, Religion and life were interwoven. The seasons were interwoven with religion, which was interwoven with government. And it was all connected to them. And they tried to use religion to explain natural phenomena. That would come up later on in the story of um, the children of Israel and Moses, but it was also true here. And these are some of the gods, just some of the gods. There was many, many more gods in their pantheon. And they were being added to, they were evolving, they were changing. Sometimes they merged. Sometimes one god would have multiple forms. Um, They had human qualities and experiences, like they were born and they died and they behaved like people did. Um, They'd they'd stick them together like Amun-Re, with the wind and the sun god. You put them together and then they'd take Horus and they'd put it with Re, same god, but combined with somebody else. And this happened over and over and over and over again. I could show you dozens of of these combinations of gods. That's the kind of society that um, they lived in. I thought the Greek and Roman gods were kind of confusing. Now, this is way more confusing. But that's the household that Joseph was sold into. And uh, Potiphar, for a man of his time, was a cultured man, an educated man, a deeply religious man. And about gods in multiple forms, well, you had Horus, for example. This is one god, lord of the sky, god of the east, Horus of the two horizons, sunrise and sunset, Horus, the child of Osiris and Isis, Horus, the savior of his father. Um, So you have different pictures. Then there's the eye. At, At some point, his eye was damaged by another god and then was healed, and that eye all of a sudden had special supernatural powers, so much so that um, some people just analyzed it and they figured out each part of the eye was related to some sense of the body. Very confusing. That's the kind of household that Joseph was purchased and became a slave in. Um, There's a concept called mat that they had during that time. Their way of the embodying truth and and how the universe was balanced and how order was established. And order was established through proper worship of gods, proper rituals, um, and that these were woven into government and they were woven into the life of the people from the top down. And, uh, of course, 
the concept of Maat was personified by a goddess named Maat, of course, because they had a god or goddess of everything and sometimes multiple gods for the same thing. Um, transgressing the nature of order produced chaos, and chaos was bad because it affected the sun, it affected the Nile, which um, flooded annually, and that was necessary for crops. So chaos was a bad thing and needed to be avoided. And um, one way it was avoided by, in addition to the rituals, was a sense of proper morality. And Potiphar, being an official during that time, um, would have had the sense of proper morality. So for a man of his time, I have no reason to believe that Potiphar was a bad guy. But I believe that he was a man of his time, which means he was um, educated and deeply religious and um, had a sense of morality of some kind. And the gods, they, they, I mentioned this before, but I'm going back over it. They, they could be born, they could be killed. They behaved like people, but they were superior to people. But then they needed people for food. They needed people for drink offerings. They needed people for rituals. They needed people to make statues so that the gods could inhabit them in, in, in a way, like their soul would be in the statue, and that's what they believed. Um, you know, we can contrast that with the God that we serve. Now, there wasn't much of there wasn't the Bible at all when Joseph was in Egypt, but uh, um, later on there was plenty about the uh, self-existence or aseity of God, um, the idea that He exists by Himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't really need anything. Um, in um, Acts 17, Paul when he was uh, in Athens. He was at the Areopagus, and he made a presentation, and he said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath and all things. Now, I think this is a little more specific but I think it's what Joseph believed. It's not what Potiphar believed. And in Isaiah 44, it says about a man, he cuts down cedars for himself. He takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for that man to burn, for he shall take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image, and he falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire, and with this half, he eats meat. He roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it, and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Now, this is kind of simplistic, but it's kind of what Potiphar believed in a more complicated way. In Psalm 50, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. So the God of, of Joseph didn't need anything, certainly nothing from the Egyptians. 
what Joseph did know about, and compared to us, it really wasn't that much. He knew about Jacob, who later was called Israel. He knew about Isaac, his grandfather. He knew about Abraham, his grandfather. Um, Jacob, at this, he probably shared everything he knew about God and what he had learned uh, with Joseph. And Joseph took these things with him when he went to Egypt. He listened. Unlike his brother Reuben, now, if we take Genesis thirty-five twenty-two, and I talked about this before. This is when Reuben was trying to do a power play. I'll read, and it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So we're going to see that Joseph listened, unlike Reuben, and also unlike Judah. And we just talked about Judah. That was the story of Judah and Tamar, how Tamar, in order to have a child, presented herself as a prostitute uh, because she knew that um, since Judah's wife had died that he uh, employed the services of prostitutes on occasion. Um, this brings me to a song. I, I've, I've known this song for about 10 years. Um, it's called Potiphar's Door. If you go onto YouTube and you type in Potiphar's Door, the song comes up at the top. Listen to it. It's a nice song. It's kind of a folk rock song. Um, it was a song that was not on one, one of their major releases. I think it was um, not commercial enough. But you can find it on YouTube. And it, the words made me think because I lived through some of them. And, um, and I, I'm going somewhere with this, and you'll see where I'm going with it. But let me just start. So I'm staring through the window screen, wishing I could do all those things I've seen. I know it's sin that leads to death, but it looks like fun to me. And that was me when I was a teenager. You see, I, I, was, um, I came to Christ... I can't remember when I came to Christ, nine, ten years old. But as I was growing up, I looked at people who I thought were having fun. And um, I had said in my mind that that was something that maybe I would want to do someday, like I was missing out. They, 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 the fear of missing out. Um, Sometimes it's, it's used to describe people who are on the Internet because they're afraid that they're going to miss a Twitter post or a Facebook post. Um, in, in a different sense, I had a fear of missing out. I had a fear that I was missing out on what the world had to offer, that what the world had to offer was good and that I was missing it, despite what I, despite what I was hearing, and, and, and I'll go into that too. Um, the lyrics go on to say, there are so many things I had wished I'd done before I repented. And when I said it, sometimes I wonder if I really meant it. Um, I felt that way. I felt like, gee, couldn't I have done some things first and then repented? After all, I heard so many testimonies of people who had um, lived lives and gone through things and, and had a lot of fun, but then you know, later on they, they repented and they got saved. 
And um, why couldn't that have been me? Um, like it wasn't a good thing to have never fallen into deep sin. Uh, I know now that that's a good thing. You know, that's, it's, it's not a bad thing to not have much of a testimony in that way. We can have a testimony, a positive one, in what we're doing, uh, how God is using us. Uh, you know, and if people do go through things in life uh, that are part of their testimony, I mean, that's, that, that's okay, too. That, that's their path. But uh, I was looking at it in the wrong way. My concern is that that's still happening. My concern is that that's still happening uh, with children who include my 13-year-old daughter, I, possibly. Um, and I'm sure that there are uh, teenagers in this church who feel this way. And uh, I learned the scripture, but I didn't take it to heart when I was a teenager. Uh, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And I am going to tie this back to the story of Joseph. Um, more words from the song are that I had this bad habit of raising the dead and inviting them to eat at the table in my head because I was not paying attention to the scriptures and I knew these. Eat in, in James 1, 14 to 15, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And in Romans, it says in chapter 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, I even had comic books that talked about stuff like this in a way that it made me understand it. Um, and in Colossians 3, 2 to, 2 to 3, set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And uh, the song goes on to say, I'm knocking on Potiphar's door while the keeper of the keys and the knocker of the door says, don't you live for what I died for. In Revelation 118, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. And then further on in chapter 3 of Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. So, um, those were, despite all of that that I learned when I was a teenager, I still looked at the world with longing. And we're going to contrast that with Joseph here, because Joseph only had the stories that his father told him about God and his family history and the things that, he, that his father had learned. And um, I'm going to pick up with 39 in chapter 7. And it's Actually, I'm going to go back up. I didn't read the last part of chapter 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. 
in chapter 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes at Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. He said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. And um, so Joseph, we learned, was uh, a handsome guy, looked like his mom. If you go back to Genesis 29, you'll see that uh, she was described as beautiful. And um, he was described as very handsome. Um, Take a look in chapter 9. He says to her, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, if you go to Psalm 51, go ahead, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and go to Psalm 51. Verse 4, and this is the psalm that David wrote after he'd gone to Bathsheba and everything that had transpired with that. He said, Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So, Joseph, without any scripture at all, understood something that um, beforehand and didn't sin, something that David understood afterwards. Um, Let's pick up with the story in chapter, uh, in verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, she has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. And he came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant that you brought into us came in to mock me. So it happened when I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were there in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So, um, we have a story where she finally demonstrated that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? That, um, and she accused him and even used a, what was then a racial slur, an ethnic slur against him, um, and lied. And what did Potiphar think? Well, we know Joseph was still alive, right? We know Joseph hadn't been sent to the mines. He could have been sent somewhere where he did dangerous work that could have killed him. And we know that he went to this prison, and he was able to run the prison. Um, I believe that if Potiphar was able to send Joseph into the prison, he was also able to check on Joseph and to make sure that um, he was kept under confinement, that he was prevented from having any responsibility at all. Not everybody could go to prison back then. They didn't have a prison system. Uh, they were rare in the ancient world. They, they usually, you paid a fine or you were executed or you had some sort of uh, physical punishment, bodily mutilation. But the prison was a place of confinement, so you either went there to await your sentence or you went there for as long as uh, the pharaoh or... Um, the official who had the power to do it would let you go in. There was no recourse in Egypt. There was no court system. Uh, So Joseph just went to prison. There were two sections. There was a jail for confinement. Um, Then there were some forced labor, too. If you were in there for a long period of time, they'd put you to work. And Joseph was probably in the prison at Thebes uh, because of the people that he was... He would meet in prison later on, the baker and the cupbearer. But God had a plan for Joseph, and Joseph didn't know what the plan was. At 17, he was sold into slavery instead of being murdered by them. At 28... Estimated, it could be 26, 27, 28. He attained a position of responsibility. And at about 30, he was falsely accused of a serious crime and imprisoned. And yet he attains a a position of responsibility in that prison. And what did Joseph know? Did he have a Bible? No. He just had his dreams. He had the stories his father told him. And he had faith in his God, and that was enough. That was enough for all of this. I can't put my head around that. I can't put my head around being sold into slavery by my whole family, by my brothers. I can't wrap my head around um, going to a different country where I did not speak the language and being a slave. Um, I can't fathom 
working my way to a point where I learned the language and I worked my way up to where I'm the head of the house, running the household for my master, and I'm falsely accused of something and I'm put into prison. What did he think? Well, we don't read anything that he's depressed about it. Maybe there were times he was. We don't read that his faith wavered. Maybe sometimes it did, but we don't read that. Um, and it, we have some takeaways here. Um, Joseph had very little compared to what we have. We have the Holy Spirit. We can meet in churches. We have a God uh, for which there's a lot of information about in, in the Bible. We have all of those things. Um, I, with far more than, than Joseph, um, I went to the University of Massachusetts um, after high school. I moved into a dormitory of, of really nice people. They weren't bad influences. I was my own bad influence. But I then chose to live, I, I, I call it my pagan years. I, I, I ignored God and I, I did what I pleased for two years. And, um, you know, I smoked pot every day. I did other things. Um, I tried to forget God, but I couldn't because I was a Christian. I was a Christian. It wasn't that I wasn't a Christian. I was. Um, And all those verses I put on the screen before, uh, I'd been taught them at one point or another. So to one degree or another, I knew them. So when the guy from Campus Crusade came to my door, and I have my door open while I'm trying to roll a joint, and he's got the four spiritual laws, and he he wanted to witness to me. Well, why not? There I am rolling a joint, right? I I probably knew it better than he did. And yet here he was, faithfully serving God, and here I was not. It had a powerful effect on me. Um... And that, in combination with a lot of other things, brought me to a place where um, I couldn't take it anymore. I needed to repent. Now, I, needed, I ended up leaving UMass. Um, I needed to be in a different place, and God brought me into New Jersey. And um, he actually had uh, plans for me that I didn't understand, um, Plans. I, I went to live with from my mother and stepfather to my father and stepmother, and uh, a very young sister. I'm 16 years older than my sister Becky, and my brother Jeff and I, who followed me, we ended up actually really helping to raise Becky, and we ended up. It was not a functional household. You had at one point, they were both um, active alcoholics, and we were shielding Becky from that. So I went through that, and, and then later on I, I went, I, I um, was married, and um, there were problems in the marriage, and the marriage really ended badly. Um, and um, I started to backslide, but um, the scriptures that I was taught helped me. Um, helped me to realize that I didn't want to go down that path. Helped me to change my path before... God did something to get my attention because I didn't want to find out what that would be because I knew that I was his child and I knew he cared about me. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm going to tie this back to Joseph. Um, 
And um, the next chapter, in chapter 40, I'm going to talk about God's plan for Joseph coming to fruition. And um, me looking back, I can see, at least in one area, where God prepared me for something really special. And it involves um, uh, Christine. Uh, those, some of you might have met Christine. She's the oldest. She's Sue's daughter from her first marriage. And uh, I was her stepfather for a very long time, and I'll be talking about that. But uh, Joseph had what his father had faithfully given him, and he carried that into Egypt, and he used that. And and to, to you in the church and to me, we need to take the opportunity, and I do that. I, I'm in the children's ministry, so part of my focus is to make sure that they know the gospel, they understand the gospel, and they can start thinking in those terms. And that's what the teachers work toward. And then when they're teenagers, uh, Pastor Vinny and, and Ed and other people work with them, and, and then some the young adults, we have the Berean room. Um, it's important that the children get the word so that hopefully they can be like Joseph and make the right decisions, right? But then if they're not, if they're like me and made the wrong decisions, uh, they know God's word. It comes back to them. And that's what we need to be faithful to do. Um, so if, if Joseph could do a lot with what little he had, and we've got so much, um, it, it's important for us as a church to uh, do what we can to help. And, and sometimes that's indirect help because some people, they don't feel like they're gifted to teach. But there are other things that, that, that get done here in this church that make teaching possible, um, other ways of serving. So everything, all serving that happens in a church um, supports the gospel, teaching the gospel, discipleship, the work of the church. Everything matters. And... Um, um, but for Joseph, he had a plan. And I think God has plans for us. We don't understand what they are. Sometimes we don't understand when we look back. We may not understand it clearly. We'll understand it some, one day. There's some parts of my life where I understood where God brought me and why and what that meant and what I was able to do. Um, another is that a church, as a church, we need to do... Um, we need to all help our children learn their faith so they can be prepared for choices that they make later in life, regardless of the choices that they make. Like, I made bad choices, and, and yet um, part of the reason I was able to redirect my life is that the, the word was hidden in my heart. Um, I haven't talked a lot about Jacob, but Jacob was faithful in teaching Joseph what he knew about God. And... Um, uh, we can do that too. So um, next time I teach, we'll talk uh, about uh, Pharaoh's dreams and uh, how God's plans for uh, Joseph are, are really starting to reach their fruition. Um, but um, that's what I have tonight. And um, the takeaway is two things. One, you, you could be going through something right now. God's going to use that in your life. You may not understand how. I certainly didn't. And secondly is that uh, as a church, you pray to God, ask him um, if you're doing what you should be doing in the church. Um, 
Maybe you are, and that's great. I'm thankful for that. But if you feel like you could be doing something or maybe doing something a little more, ask God what that might be. Ask for direction. Okay? Let's pray. Um, Dear God,